Good afternoon. Welcome to this edition of the Richard Irvin Show. I'm your host, Richard Irvin. Today, very happy to have Susan Busher Lahaki, and she's running for the second congressional district seat uh, on the Republican ticket. So she's one of, I, there are five candidates, right? So yeah, please introduce yourself. Okay, hi. Thanks, Richard, that I can be here. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. So uh, my name is actually, you almost had it correct. So I, I have to applaud you for that because it's <laughs> not easy. So Susan Bookser Lahaki. So very, very close, very good. And yes, I am running for US um, House of Representatives, second district here in West Virginia. And um, yeah, I'm on the Republican ticket. I, I am known as a Christmas Republican. So I'm, I'm red and green. And uh, the green part is uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you know, but it was the 100 year anniversary of women's rights to vote in the US here. And um, I decided it was a great opportunity to run for president. So although a lot of you maybe didn't know that I was running for president, I was back in 2020. And I started off with the Green Party because uh, I was focused on bringing peace um, around the world and, and of course, certainly in the US. And with COVID and everything, as, as things progressed, we saw a lot of division, but that happened actually after I started my campaign. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I was, I was in it for peace and then I was in it for women for the 100 year anniversary to bring awareness of women's rights and, and to just be a part of, of it. And then um, sadly, the Green Party decided on Howie Hawkins. They didn't choose me. But it, I mean, I, it was my first time running and he's an old time Green Party member. So I guess that's to be expected. But since so many women were in it at the beginning and then they dropped out, I decided I would continue to campaign and run as, as just a write-in. And actually in West Virginia here, you could have written me in. Uh, okay. I don't know if I got any uh, write-ins, but uh, anyways, it was a possibility. And so I, I continued to run and I conceded just at the very end, because as we saw, even after the election, there were so many possibilities to change the result that uh, I, I felt I couldn't concede until it was really, you know, Biden was there and, and um, giving his oath. So uh, yeah, I only conceded last year, actually in January, and then I took some time off and now I've decided, you know, I really, um, I really uh, have something, I wanna help. I'm here to help West Virginia. I'm here to help our communities and I'm here to help the United States and eventually also the world too. Okay, yeah, I was looking on your website. You were uh, talking about a key policy issue about um, parenting and uh, do you wanna tell me more about that? One interesting thing it said, it should be paid in capitals. Do you want to explain more about your position on parenting and what you're talking about there? Yeah, well, that's something it, it started for me um, a couple of years ago. I have actually been living the last 20 plus years in Switzerland, and I attended a conference on um, at the UN because there's a um, one of the headquarters is in Switzerland in Geneva. So I went there to a conference about women and women around the world and the status of women. And it seemed uh, at the conference, the, the thing that everybody ended up 
pointing to was the fact that um, one of the worst things, which is actually one of the most beautiful things that a woman can do is to become a mother mm. for her standard of living, because it takes women out of the workforce. It, we don't get a pension for it. We don't get a lot of things for it. And mm. then in our modern society, you know, we don't have always the, um, the permanence of marriage like we once had. So right. um, it's it, it sort of become a, um, an extra job, you know, we have our career and then we might even have an extra job and then we have, a, then we do mothering on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it's being done currently as a hobby. And so basically that's what came out of this conference. And I realized, you know, they're right that this is happening, that a lot of women, when we decide to have that child, we go into poverty to do it. Because a lot of times the men disappear or something happens and the marriage breaks up or whatever. And, and somebody's got to raise the kids, but you also have to have a roof over your head and, and everything like that. So that's sort of what started it for me. And then I was involved with some other, um, art, I'm, I'm actually an artist by trade. Okay. And I was doing some artwork. And then um, that's when I decided that, you know, no, I was going to run for, for president in the 100 year anniversary. And I was going to focus on women's issues. I was going to point out the fact that, yes, women need to be paid for that important job. And then I thought to myself, you know, well, who should pay? So in the olden days, you know, like whatever, a thousand years ago, the monarchies used to pay you know, for the, for all their servants and all their people to have whatever they needed. Right. I, I mean, there was probably also poverty then too. You sure but... about that? You mean the middle ages? <laughs> exactly. I thought people were struggling. I didn't think the monarch was paying them anything, but go ahead. anyway. I, but you know what I mean? You know, that's a, you know, I can't help how the past was, but there was supposed to be this family unit where, where people were, um, you know, the family was provided for. There was a, a working person, which was the man usually, and then the, the woman was- What I think you mean house. is normally the male's supposed to provide in traditional thought, but exactly. anyway, go ahead. Exactly, but, and, and today we're living in a slightly different world, but it, it's still a structure that works for the most part. There should be one person who is sort of like the satellite person who comes around periodically, and then one person who is the, the stay-at-home figure who is really the, the one who is stay-at-home. And then, and then you have, of course, the children and, and whatnot. But th- that can be, how can I say this? In but my, would the government get involved? Because you're talking about, well, and I have well, more thoughts me, on that. But let me, let me, let me finish the, the next part. So, okay, so go in ahead. the past, it was, it was like the monarchy, right? Who was taking care of all the, all the people. We got rid of our kings and queens, right? So then we were then we were left with uh, corporations to be the the um, the keepers. And for a long time, corporations, you know, there was this corporate man concept where you had job security. You had a job and you were there for 50 years. Right. And so you had job security. But then that fell apart, too. So now we're at this point in time where salaries are not at all in comparison to what they used to be and to um, be a, a one person earning breadwinner it's it's really only for the rich at this point to have like a stay-at-home person and somebody working you know it's it's almost not possible for for the majority of the u.s people it's not possible both people have to work Mm. to survive right now and then parenting gets done as a hobby 
nobody's around. And that's where we're running into all these problems with children being bullied and children being aggressive and, and just all the, the drugs and, and the guns that are, you know, I was just at a meeting the other day hearing about uh, the, the plans for the educational department in, in and around where I'm living. And they just got a whole bunch of new metal detectors for the schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, is this something to be proud of? I, I don't, it, we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. We're focusing so, on the wrong thing. So anyway, so my- Getting to the funding is, of the mom's part, you're saying- Exactly. Is it involved with anybody other than the family? You're getting to that, right? Exactly. Because so the company nowadays, they don't care whether you have a family or not, right? Corporations, they don't really care. They're just in it for profit. So they're going to pay you as little as possible, but keep you as, as, you know, as long as they can is what they're doing. So who, who cares about a healthy citizen? The government. The people. Your neighbors. I was about to say, I do. <laughs> but anyway, go exactly. ahead. Exactly. We all do. We all do. We all care about uh, having happy and healthy people. And so the, the, we're going to have to make like a mother's force or a parent force, much like we have the National Guard. I mean, that's the other part is so one of the most what, what's like the most masculine manly thing that men can do is defend their country themselves, their family, right, their community. And we pay them for that. We've got a National Guard. We got military. We've got lots of defense. Mm -hmm. So we're paying men to defend, but we're not paying women to produce and to be caregivers and to be mothers. I think in like so, I had a friend in Norway, they do give the moms there a stipend. Is that what you're talking about? Or you have some other idea? Or no, I think I well, you know, when I was growing up, Motherhood was seen as like almost a dirty word, actually. I hate to say it, but it's true. And um, we were, you know, when I was growing up, we were told, go out and get a job and get a career. And, and, and you know, I did. And um, I did what I was supposed to do. And then I came to a point where I said, no, I really, I want to be a mom now. And, right. and it worked out for me. I was a mom. You know, I still am a mom. But, um, but the, the, um, the main thing is... Uh, uh, it, 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 for a long time, it was a dirty word. You weren't supposed to even put it on your resume that you were a mother because that meant you were going to miss work and it was a bad thing. Yeah, well, I think you're and, right. That's what the UN currently thinks. Of course, they're wrong, but anyway. Well, so now we're here in present day and this is the one thing that fell through the cracks and we're seeing the results every day with school shootings and bullying and you know, just all the, the things that are going on in the drugs. So we need to change this and we need it. It's a crisis. We need to change it now because we don't need more metal detectors in schools. We need teachers in schools. We need mental health people currently in schools too, sadly, but that's what we do need. We don't need metal detectors. We yeah. need mental health help. We need parents at home parenting their children properly. So it's not just money given away to anybody who gets pregnant. It's not that. What it is, is it's money with training. There's going to be training involved. There's going to be, you know, um, groups organized in the community where activities will happen. 
where we produce happy and healthy, well-rounded people, citizens. Well, okay, if I might give some thoughts on that. Yeah, okay. But so interestingly, you may or may not have noticed on uh, our websites and stuff, but my wife and I have been involved with abstinence-centered health education. And my theory is, if I could put it out there, I don't think it's just a theory that we could make generational change. How? Yes, I'm well aware. I worked in D.C., you know, 75% of the children we work with didn't live with either parent, literally. No, no, not 75%. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, about 50% didn't live with, uh, live with one parent. 25% didn't live with either parent. Maybe 25% live with both parents or less, less than that. Anyway, so I'm well aware of that. So the point I'm trying to make is that I would say that what you're talking about is a family issue in the sense that if, you know, the family's intact, then, you know, the father can provide for the family or possibly sometimes the father stays home or mother, like the kind of thing you're saying. By the way, our daughter is a stay-at-home mom and her, I would call them, my daughter and our son-in-law, middle class. They're not like rich. He works at a manufacturing type job. So, I mean, it is possible. It does it also partially, I guess, depends on your lifestyle and stuff. But um, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is to get your comments, it seems like more of an issue of um, the family, not so much the government and that if we could, whether you abstain, here's my main point, I guess, abstained or not, you could tell your children, and I find that most parents understand this, hey, you know, you should abstain before marriage because statistically, you're a lot less likely to grow up in poverty. You're much, you know, and it's finished high school and wait to have children. And then that will solve a lot of the issues. And we know, like you're talking about shootings and crime. A lot of times these are related with things like, you know, um, sexual activity, drug use, all these other things. So, um, yeah, basically, I think we could make generational change by emphasizing more having children after you are married. And that will also be a lot more stable as far as less single parenting and stuff. Or do you have any comment on that? Well, I, I think abstinence is certainly a good idea. I feel, however, because I just spent the last 20 years living in Europe and in Switzerland. And in the US, children tend to be uh, sexually active earlier. I don't know why, but the, the, it is true. They are here more sexually active earlier. I personally, I was actually raped at the age of nine by a 14 year old. So this happens oh. and um, you know, what can I say? Yeah. Boys, boys are not taught to be respectful, I think. Right. They're pushing to have sex. So we need to teach the boys to be more respectful exactly. and less True. pushy. It's not, I'm going to say, it's not the girls so much, although I'm not going to say that every girl is perfect either. But yes, I think that children in the U.S. are way too active earlier. I don't know why. I do think we have to look into the research on that and see what other countries are doing and how they're being effective with what they're doing. 
Switzerland is a good place to look because the kids well, don't, don't at all get active until they're in their 20s. Yeah, well, one thing is, I don't know how aware of, you, of it you are, but we've had an increase in what's commonly called, I think it's a misnomer, comprehensive sex education. What that really means is it's non-directive. So like in our program, we talk about pretty much everything, but we don't talk about how to put on a condom or use other contraceptives. Pretty much everything else is covered. And then in the so-called, but we, if it's directive, we say it's best to wait, here's why. And it's not religious, it's a secular program. We do, I do have religious programming, but you know, the school-based program is not religious. The comprehensive approach is they give a little lip service to abstinence, but basically say, hey, since you're going most likely to be sexually active, Here's how you put it on condom. And by the way, you could get these other contraceptives or pills or whatever. And by the way, you don't have to tell your parents if you're in places like DC that you, that you had STD testing. In fact, you could abort a baby at 12, literally. This is true. Look it up if you want. In DC and your parents, I forget if it's 12 or 13, either ones who don't are not necessary to be informed. So this is so-called comprehensive sex ed. And this has become common in cities, but it's also made it's making its way all over the place, you know, like West Virginia is certainly not exempt. So this gives, a, um, actually increases sexual activity. And of course, well, I, the, I think, you know, that's I why think, I, I, think actually, I think. I think actually the fact that so many adults are making such a big deal of it is what's causing the interest more. The fact that it's forbidden. And so, you know, whenever you forbid something, then it becomes more attractive. And but it's not forbidden in comprehensive sex ed, which is common. Well, now, I, I agree, parents, you know, should be the primary providers of information. But the fact is that schools do teach some kind of HIV prevention, I would say, or STD prevention since at least the 90s. So I think it's good to have at least the option of um, absence-centered programs. Or what do you think? I think... Um, so in my experience, uh, I've been to different sort of uh, sexual counseling over the years, and I think it should be all-inclusive. Absten abstinence should be talked about, but also if one chooses to do have sex with someone, that they should do it respectfully and they should be explained, you know, what are the proper ways to be careful and everything. It also, parents need to talk to their children. And I think a lot of people, a lot of parents feel uncomfortable doing that. And, you know, I'm a mom. I've had these difficult conversations with my daughter. And, you know, I grew up in the, in the 80s during, you know, um, AIDS, the big AIDS epidemic. And, right. you know, you, you have to realize there are these things out there and you have to be careful and you have to have these difficult conversations with your children, okay. whether you like it or not. And I think a lot of people maybe because of religious reasons, they don't, they, they, they think just saying abstinence is the only way that it's just not reality. You have to cover it all and teach your, your children to say yes or no, whatever you want, you know, but I think every parent should have the right to talk to their child about how they feel. If, um, the schools should cover everything in a sort of generic way. And um, 
but it should be covered both for men and women and and responsibility needs to be stressed. 100%. Okay. All right. We'll move on to other topics. Thanks for your opinions on that. But okay. About the um different things that have been going on like around um COVID and the different mandates and a lot of that is probably more at the state level, but we know that there's been the federal mandate certainly, you know, it's especially I would say under Biden administration. Um, to have vaccine mandates, to have which a lot have been have been challenged, but I believe they're still in place for uh, healthcare facilities, and mass mandates, and all kinds of mandates. And of course, you have them locally, but also at the federal level, we see different um, come, them coming into play. What's your opinion about that? Has the government overreached? Has President Biden overreached with these extensive mandates? Now, even he doesn't even want to. Uh, take off the mandate on airplanes. He's fighting to keep it. So what's your opinion on that? Well, I have two things, okay? I, I didn't get the vaccines until later because I wasn't in the, in the age group that had to do it early. And, you know, I have to admit wearing a mask, I, I've never been healthier, knock on wood, <laughs> you know? So I, I've, I've been, you know, the last couple of years since this all happened and we've been wearing masks, I haven't gotten sick at all. So there, there is something to wearing a mask and, and being healthy, you know, not spreading germs. I well, think, that's you know, not opinion, but go care. ahead. Huh? There's no what science behind it. There's no well, science it worked behind for me. mask wearing. It worked. Yes, that I cannot argue. It worked. With. I cannot argue with it worked that for me. viewpoint. So subjective. I didn't viewpoint. even get the, I didn't even get the common cold. So with that said, um, you know, this is my experience. Then you have to realize I have my daughter. She had leukemia twice in her childhood, and we were constantly uh, going to the hospital for various things. And the hospital is where, of course, all the germs are. And sometimes we had to go through the emergency department. And that's really where all the germs are. So whenever she would have to go, we would have to wear masks and we would have to be escorted immediately into a, a special room mm -hmm. that was cleaned and germ-free, supposedly. So uh, because her immune system was you know, uh, compromised. So I know why the masks are being asked to be worn and stuff. I, I understand the concept. Um, I'm gonna say that mandates by the government um, for government employees, for me, I think that makes sense because it has to be uh, following the rules of the government. Um, if they're making the rules, the people working there have to follow the rules. I think in the private sector, however, you know, people, you know, in a bakery or at a grocery store, the, the, the grocery store owner can make their own rule. The, the gas station company can make their own rule. If they don't want their employees to have things done, then they don't have to. Um, there's plenty of jobs out there. So if, if somebody doesn't want to follow the rules, they, you know, set up by say the government or by the company that they're working for. Mm -hmm. There's other jobs where they can they can go and have a job, whatever. But I think on the private sector, the corporation or whoever is running the business can make the decisions. Um, and then you as an individual can decide 
will I get the vaccine? Will I not? Should I wear a mask? Should I not? I think it, that part's up to the individual too, you know? So there's, there's plenty of jobs out there. There's plenty of variations in, in our country. So, you know, wearing one or not, that's truthfully, and getting a shot or not, that's all up to you. Okay. On another issue, like on the issue of um, voter in, voting integrity, in the House, there came up a bill, I believe it was this session, or I think it was both last and this session. I think, in fact, it might have been House Bill 1, where they wanted to federalize mail-in voting. So what's your opinion on voting integrity and all these kind of black box voting machines? I know that's not really a federal issue. That's on the state level. But some in Congress have tried to federalize it. How do you view that issue? Well, so prior to living in West Virginia, I was living in New York State before I moved to Switzerland, my 20 plus years ago. And first off, in Switzerland, they vote entirely different. So then that's a whole nother story. But I've been actually voting on the federal level from abroad, from Switzerland, because it's my right as a US citizen to do that. I couldn't vote on local levels or state, but federal, I could. But um, apparently, there was at least one, possibly two times in the last 20 years where I didn't get my vote out quick enough. So it didn't get to the, my voting um, county quick enough. But when I went to change my, um, my registration from uh, independent, no, from, from Democrat to uh, Green Party, uh, this was two years ago, they said that I had voted in every election when I was abroad. So that meant for me, somebody voted for me. I didn't vote every single election. How did you know they didn't receive your thing on time? Because I still had it in my hand on voting day. Oh, you never mailed it. I never mailed it. So wow. somebody, some, so I know there's voter fraud, period. Personally, I know it. So with that said, the way we are doing it currently is not working. We do need to come up with a new way. In other countries, they have a piece of paper, a pencil or a pen, and you write on it yes or no, and you bring it to your town hall and you put it in their little box that they have. It's there, there's no middleman, you and the town hall. It's there and is done. So it's not complicated. There's no electronics involved. There's no uh, somebody voting for you. You get, everybody gets their, their mail, their um, ballot mailed to them at home. You have a, a whole month to sort of go through the issues, decide what you want. And it's not just about, um, you know, who you want in the government, but it's also about local issues or issues. Yeah, oh, excuse me to interject. Do you have to in, and identify yourself when you drop off your ballot so they know it's you? There, there are, um, so not if you go before the actual voting date because you have a special envelope to put it all in. You have to sign your name and your, your name is recorded. The, the difference is, uh, is the size. So uh, for every sort of town, Paul, there's maybe about 30,000 people. 
So, you know, we would have to have more town halls or more um, somehow things set up, central locations where people could drop things off. Are you talking about big cities for this, like exactly. in Geneva? Exactly. Well, Zurich, I used to live near Zurich. I didn't live in Zurich, but they they have a way too of, of being big, you know, but yet being able to count everything accurately within the same, you know, day. So voting goes on on Sundays when most people have the day off. And then you just, you go down and most people actually go, you go down to the town hall with your thing all filled out. You, you, check in and you drop it into the box. And yeah, and most town halls, they know the people in the region. So they know that I'm who I am. You know, there's so not there, a lot Is of, there any mail-in voting or there's none? You don't mail it through the post office, no. You, you carry it and you, you deliver it to the mailbox at the town hall, or you carry it to the election day uh, central location where you drop it off into okay. a into a mailbox. And are you saying so that, on election day you have to show an ID or something? Exactly. Yeah. Or you know, normally they know who you are. So right. I, I was I was in a town of four thousand people. So you know they they knew who I was. They knew I wasn't somebody else. There is also a way where um, I could have handed it off to my husband uh, to to hand it in for me. I, I sign like a special permission slip that he has to show and, and then he can drop it off for me too. Okay. So all right. there are, but there, there's, yeah, we're, we're, we don't need all these machines, you know? Well, yeah, that's one thing. I, yeah. The so-called black box, I call them black box machines because nobody knows exactly how they work as far as programming. And um, yeah, it adds a complexity. And in fact, and locally we have them and then recently and in fact i was guilty myself of not even checking it did give a little paper printout that you then give to the attendant to feed in the machine but i forgot or didn't check it so i mean it adds unnecessary complexity and also possibly a fraud in my opinion yep well the and the last thing i want to say about voting in in the u.s is when i went to vote in 2020 in New York City at my polling place, um, because I had already voted once with showing an ID, I didn't have to show an ID anymore. So I just went in, I said who I was, they gave me my ballot and I could vote without showing who I was. Same in DC. I used to so live this in is DC. A huge problem in my opinion. We got a huge, you know, fraud is definitely, um, involved sadly but right so you think? yeah so you think things could be tightened up i i agree yeah. i mean and definitely uh, you know would you say as far as fed so it sounds like or you tell me you're against like this kind of effort to federalize mail-in voting that's wrong i mean to so the bill hr1 i think it was hr1 actually was going to make it mandatory for states to accept mail-in ballots every state. Well, I, I think um, the way I'm, I would present it would be a month before the election, everybody gets a ballot. You can fill it out at your leisure and you can drop it off. You don't okay. mail it. You drop it off. Right. Because everybody's got a car or a bus or some way to get to a town hall 
to okay. their town hall and you drop it off in the town hall mailbox. It's not complicated. You got 30 days to do it. Okay. There's no no reason why you can't vote. All right. Not to not to worry. So um yeah, okay. All right. Fair enough, fair enough. Um yeah. So now another yeah, interesting issue. Yeah. Do you think that it's okay to discuss God in the public square? Meaning, you know, I believe I'll first I'll give a like I guess a short opinion. Like the founding fathers pretty much they were of various faiths and some like William Penn are known for, you know, founding Pennsylvania, which was tolerant of all faiths, whereas other states were not. But point being, they all discussed God in the public square, meaning there's no problem talking about God. Like I was talking to another candidate, you know, about this issue. It's like sometimes today we have this idea of freedom from religion. Like, oh, God, no, can't talk about that. Whereas to me, that makes no sense. Obviously, that's part of people's constituency, what they believe. And just because, in fact, you should be talking about it because you're a public person. Not in the sense of proselytizing somebody, but just the fact that, hey, I believe God created us. There's men and women, whatever. So how, what's your view on that? Do you have some view on, is that perfectly fine or you have some other view? Okay, so my, um, first off, I'm, I'm fully of the belief that there should be a separation between church and state. Not just state from church, but church from state too. I don't, what that means is everybody has a, of course, right to their own belief or non-belief. Mm -hmm. And um, my thing is, is there's like 4,000 plus religions out there. So there's not one specific religion that's more dominant than the other, um, in my opinion, because there are so many. So- uh, Well, don't get me I mean, wrong, I do believe in, no establishment of religion. I'm just talking about talking about God in public discourse. But do continue. Sorry. So, so in in my opinion, um, talking in in public about God is fine. Absolutely fine. I I would prefer, um, in my opinion, more like uh, variations of God rather than just the Christian God. Um, and it was even discussed recently that maybe instead of in in God we trust, it should be in God's plural we trust uh -oh. because there are 4000 <laughs> plus gods out there right or, well, or even not uh, most religions are monotheistic unless i guess the so called well, but, pagan but, uh, religions aren't but or, i don't know if that's the right term pagans but most of the uh, abrahamic religions are certainly monotheistic but and even religions like buddhism or confucianism i guess they don't believe in god the father but i wouldn't say they believe in multiple gods but anyway go ahead but with 4,000 different religions out there, there's, there's more than one God, apparently. And then there are, you know, people who don't believe in God, right? So I don't then, think, well, they, I have to say that I don't think there's more than one God, but certainly there are many interpretations. Right. But, but anyway, so there's, there are people who don't believe in God. True. And then, um, which is fine. So, Nobody's against that. But I guess my point is simply the, Seeming hostility of some, I guess, or tell me if I'm wrong, that you, you know, there's something wrong with like 
expressing your see for me it's not about dogma it's more like you know do you believe there's gravity uh well i'm not sure there's gravity it's like you know if you believe basic principles like well it appears that everything the creation is male female uh maybe maybe the creator made it that way stuff like that you know not like certain dogmas on different doctrines am i making any sense yeah, well, um, I, I think what we can all agree on is good. You know, I think we all want to be good and we believe in good. So good is actually where I, I focus because that is inclusive of everyone. That's not just the religious people who believe in God, but that also takes care of the non-religious. So I believe in good. And, and that's something you will hear from me often um, because I do. I believe in good. I was raised Catholic. I researched God. I am actually, um, currently I'm a Unitarian Universalist, but uh, I, I have to believe, I, or I have to say that I'm a non-believer. I don't believe in, in God. So for me, um, I don't, I understand that other people do, and I don't have issues with that. I do have issues with how much um, God is in some of the things that we say as a citizen and stuff, uh, because I, I'm, I don't believe in God. So uh, for me, it. you know, it, I have an issue with that. So I think maybe if we could change the word so that it's more inclusive for everyone, um, you know, to, to the word good, truthfully, that would, that would work. Mm -hmm. And then, because okay. I think we all want to be good. True. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So we wanted to mention one more thing before we come to, I guess, the conclusion interview. You mentioned education and apprenticeships. Um, yep. So sometimes I guess we call that one aspect of it might be vocational learning somewhat. Explain to me what you think could be done and what could you do about it at the U.S. House level, that seems like more a state or local issue. But talk about that for a minute, if you would. Well, it, it is more a state or, or local issue for sure. But um, I, so our problem is we have young teenagers who have lots of energy, but they're not um, being fulfilled. So they're getting into trouble. They're doing drugs, they're having sex, they're doing all these other things. If we can get them focused on the future, already at like 13 and 14, learning how to write a resume, learning how to think about what career they want and going and testing it out, you know, going for a day and trying a, a construction site or going for a day and trying a hospital out and, you know, just seeing what it's like, um, they, they're gonna have a different focus because the real problem right now is we're sending everybody through school thinking, you got to read, you got to read, you got to read. And some kids are not good at it. Some kids don't care about history. Some kids don't care about any of that. They need to start moving and getting involved. And so we need to help them to do that. So I'm recommending at 13 and 14, we start getting them thinking about careers and separating the children because we end up with these gangs and cliques that start bullying and, and just all sorts of bad things start happening. Not everybody needs to go to university. There is lifelong learning for sure. You know, right. 
when, when you're done with 18, that doesn't mean you never go to school again because you always have to learn, but you need to start working. And then at 16, kids should really start working at an apprenticeship, not, not at a vocational school. You, you are working on a construction site. Maybe you're the one holding the sign for the first month. Then maybe you're one who, I don't know, does something else, pushes a button, but you slowly learn how to use the machines. And by the time you're 18, you have a, a little degree that says I can function, I can do these sort of things and you're ready to go. So does you know? that mean, uh, sorry to interject, but at 16, you're finished your formal schooling? Yes, yeah, you're sort of, you're, you're kind of done. You continue, you work like three days at your apprenticeship and two days you go to special schooling to learn your trade more in depth. You still have to learn mathematics. You still have to do reading and writing and all of that, but you do it more specific to your trade. And if you wanted to go to like some of those things that might require college like law or medicine, or you can do that, I assume there's another track. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you continue um, with the more educational side, or maybe you do, maybe there you do like an apprenticeship in a law firm where you're the one assigned to make copies or print out certain things or whatever, or you have to, you have to drive down to the courthouse and drop off papers. You know, so there, there can be apprenticeships in law firms too, where again, you work three days a week. I mean, I, I actually think what we really need is apprenticeships for all US children at this Interesting. point. Interesting, so let me ask, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, in Switzerland, you were in Switzerland. I assume you're talking about a program they do there. How many percentage, what percentage of the youth are in this apprenticeship program about? I'm gonna say 80% wow. of them, yeah. But I, I would say the US currently needs like 100%. We need to get our young people in and around adults because I think they're spending too much time together and they're not getting enough adult interaction. And so they're not um, learning a lot of respect, I think. I like that idea. That's a great yeah. idea. I, wow. I think because yeah, you know, even at a hospital, you know, they can they can just follow along and clean up after somebody, or I I don't know. There there are little jobs they can go and just take a, a somebody's temperature, you know. Mm. So just to get them involved and and stuff. But yeah, I think it's a great way. We have to bring young people and adults back together a little bit so that children can learn to be respectful and to separate them because we, we've just thrown them together for years on top of each other. And it just, it's become a huge nightmare. Okay, I ran it, but maybe one more question. So on the issue of the second amendment, do you support like a national concealed carry law? Or, you know, meaning like in West Virginia, as you know, you can carry if you want, you don't need a permit. In some states you need a permit. But if you have a good, unless you, in West Virginia, if you want to carry in other states, you have to get a permit. The states that allow it. But what I'm asking is there's been some movement for a national concealed carry, whereas like right now, if you, you couldn't go into Maryland, for instance. Is that good, bad? What do you think? Um, I, I think, uh, I think it, it's, hmm. There should be some sort of standard 
where uh, checks and balances are made with people with um, weapons, with guns, whatever, rifles. Um, it, so in my proposal, because I want to upcycle the military and make, I want everybody to sign up actually. You don't have to go into the defense side of the military, you can go into other departments, but I want everybody in it and I want all of us to be a part of it in a, in a good way. It's a way of learning trades again, of being a community and so on. But so you're talking about like in Israel where I believe everyone, including women, has to be in the military for some time period? Exactly, but, but it's more like, so in Switzerland they have this too, and actually all over Europe, in Germany, all, all over. You all, everybody signs up, you all have military duty to do. It's actually a great way to network because you end up meeting people from around the country and then you, you make connections too. But, um, but what it does, so in, and I'll, I'll talk specifically about Switzerland. What they do have is they have like a community shooting um, club where three times or four times a year, the, the guys that are in military duty they have to go and they have to practice in front of this group of people, this community, this club. They have to practice shooting and they have to prove that they know how to use their weapon. They have to prove that they're mentally okay to have the weapon. And then um, they are given a we one weapon from the government. And then they're also trained at, at like other military weaponry and stuff like that too. Everybody mm -hmm. has their little department. So, um, so that's I would like to bring that here that in your community you go and you have to prove that you can use your weapon and then if you if you are if you pass the proving part for that whatever three months or six months or whatever it is then then it's not an issue then if you if you um, if you want to carry that wherever you want to carry it all over the United States then it's okay if, however, you're mentally not uh, okay at the time, they, they might say, you know, you need to leave your weapons here for six months or three months and then come back after you seek some treatment and then you can have them back, you know? But it's a way to- oh, Go ahead, yeah. I was gonna say in, in Switzerland, do they, um, so I've heard of that program. I have a friend who's actually from Switzerland and he had, I guess it's a machine gun or, or maybe it's not a machine gun, maybe some kind of rifle they issue, but, um, my question is, if you're just, if you're not, so you're saying everyone's, can you buy a weapon otherwise? Is it okay to purchase weapons otherwise? I think so, but I think that they have it, um, you know, people can have just the one from the military and they can actually, if they have, if they're in military duty, they can decide if they wanna keep it at home or if they wanna leave it at the, at the military office, you know, they don't have to have it at home. I think most men, however, in Switzerland bring it home and it's in the home. Um, they're technically the military one they're not supposed to use unless they're doing military duty. Right. But it is there in case they have to protect or in case of emergency and they need to be on duty right, you know, from one minute to the next, you know, it's there. But after that, you can buy more guns if you want you can have rifles you can do all sorts of things and um I, I you probably just have to register them and then and then it's done you know so it's not like um you can't do it uh but if you have if you do the military training then clearly you are registered to own a gun because you're you're taught how to use one 
So it's just a matter of simply, you know, showing, you know, showing up for your practice. If you okay. don't show up for your practice, then they're going to, the military probably comes after you and, and says, you know, yeah, why it's kind of like it's up? a citizen militia idea, I think. It is a, exactly. And that's what I would like to bring because I feel the US wants a citizen militia anyways. So let's just, let's train you. Let's train everybody, get the ones who really want to be part of that um, defense to have that capability. Why not? Okay. All right. Well, as you're winding up the interview, I think I want to thank so much for your time. Are there other things you want to share with viewers about why they should vote for you as, as their choice for U.S. House of Representatives, 2nd Congressional District, West Virginia? Okay. Well, yeah. So um, first off, uh, I mean, my women's issues, of course, but, but uh, we're coming up on our 250th anniversary of the founding of our country. And it's a great opportunity to go through and clean out all the old bills and the old regulations that we don't need and we're not using. We need to update the how to become a state uh, document so that countries might want to become a state. You know, um, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I well, wait, what it. do you mean by that? Well, countries might want to become a state. Yeah, you know, I don't think the U.S. is done growing. I think there might be some countries out there who would like to become a U.S. state, but our document is so written from, you know, 200 years ago, 250 years ago. It's time to update it. And, you know, I'm not an amendment. I know it's, it's hard, but I'm not an amendment. So it's time to update our constitution. We need to get rid of the amendments, include everybody, and oh, you mean the amendment together. have women with the right to vote? Exactly, and other amendments too. It's time to it's time. Hmm. Every country, when they get to certain periods of time, they update their documents. U.S. is is a young country in comparison to other countries. You know, Switzerland's like uh, whatever over seven hundred years old. Uh, China is what thousands years old. So. Can you imagine how many documents they've had yeah. and how many laws? Well, let me interject had? one thing and get your opinion. The a lot of people are concerned that that may result, or okay, let's put it this way: it could result in the getting rid of the electoral college. Would you favor that or leave that alone? Well, actually, I I find the way we elect. You know, I'm going to say, if you had asked me that question about four years ago, I would say it's a really strange way we do it. But watching it this past election, you know, back in 2020, when I was really involved, I saw how it really works and how it's set up. I kind of like it. So, you know, some things I'm, I'm for changing and other things I, I think are, are just fine the way they are. So, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm just one person. But uh, I, I think, you know, um, if somebody can come up, come up with a better way uh, then maybe we should look at that too. There might be some some better way, but currently I think the way that we have it is actually uh, quite all right. I think there's always uh, there seems to at every stage of the election election process there was a way of changing a result if it needed to be changed. So uh, it was fascinating in 2020 for sure, and I'm looking forward to this election. This is very exciting too. To watch it from this angle because you know i was more uh, an outsider before but uh, anyway yeah um so i, I kind of like the electoral college um but 
if there's a better way, you know, uh, I think we should look at that too. Okay, yeah, I kind of interrupted your, what you were saying, but you were talking about, um, yeah, your any, yeah, kind of closing statement there. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so the, the 250, I mean, that's the main thing. We need to focus on that because it's going to take some time. I, I know you were around for the, the bicentennial, which was I, uh, where I was. I was up in Rochester and Pittsburgh, New York, and it was a big deal there. And, and I think it's a good opportunity to bring the country back together because we're very separate right now. You know, we've got all sorts of issues and it's a great way to bring back community, to bring back towns and cities and to focus on what makes us diverse. I wanna bring back the small town. I want all the towns to sort of develop themselves and decide what their identity is. So I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for our country to clean house, to get rid of old laws and bills and um, regulations we don't need and to uh, revamp our uh, documents and our country in general. And you mean 2026 or just your kind of right now, you mean? Well, it's, we have to start now to, to have it ready by 2026. But also, like, I, I, it's time for maybe a new national anthem, new flag. You know, let's, let's really start <laughs> okay. everything new, start fresh for the next 250 years. Okay. Right? Hmm. All right. Well, all right. I, want, I, I do want to thank you very much for joining us today. And I hope this is helpful for uh, viewers to find out, you know, about your positions. So I hope, hope uh, you know, they will check this out and be sure to vote on May 10th. Yeah, or earlier. When, I think uh, actually voting starts tomorrow, absentee. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess it does, or 27. Voting, right? Yeah, or, or you can vote early. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, oh. thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure being here. Okay. And it was yeah. fun. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad you could join us on the Richard Urban Show. We'll see you next time.